A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 90, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Well, folks, we're going to start it off with a little happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. It's not as, as seductive as Marilyn Monroe back in the day, but I did my best. Uh, everyone wish Pete Steinberg, the professor, a happy birthday for Sunday past the big 50, the half century. What a knock, buddy. How are you feeling? You, you ready to pack oh, it in? Uh, tired my back hurts my eyes are failing my knees hurt like it's it's but actually not much different than 49 Uh, you're in great shape you're in great nick i hope i look half as good uh when i hit 50 in 20 years from now uh, yeah hey i got i got a travel tip i got a travel tip oh yeah 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 tell us the travel tip this was good this is a good one okay when you're traveling and they offer you the little meal boxes don't eat the salami folks because trust me um it was it was really tough on saturday night for everyone involved with the uh, la utah broadcast i just about killed everyone so there were, there were people doing uh, other sports in other studios complaining about the smell and uh, it was salami it, it absolutely destroyed me so um can i yeah. can i give you a better travel tip Generally, don't eat the food on an airplane. Yeah, Generally, eat before eat, or eat after. Before. The, the problem is right now is that as we all begin to travel, like the airports, as you know, Dan, are quite busy, but only mm-hmm. half of the restaurants are open. So, yeah. like, 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 if you want, if you want to get a coffee at a restaurant, I mean, so at an airport, just like, don't bother. Grab something before you like drink it before you go in, because once you're in there, the lines at like a Starbucks. Yeah. In an airport right now is always super long because the other three Starbucks at the airport aren't open yet. When we traveled that same uh, morning, I said, do you want a coffee? And you're like, oh, I'm like 20 minutes away. I said, don't, don't worry, by the time you get here. <laughs> and I literally yeah, and I got, got it, sat and it was- down and you walked up. So it worked out well. All right. Do you know what else works out well? Buying all your rugby gear from the rugby shop. And that's where you can get it. ShopMLR.com. Great supporters of the show. Great supporters of the league. And did they do a Pete Steinberg 50th birthday celebration bonanza? They they have not done a Pete Steinberg 50th birthday bonanza because I don't think that would drive any sales. But they do actually have some pretty cool clearance items and you can get some pretty good deals here. So there's a... Um, uh, a uh, let me look. Oh, there's... Uh, yeah, a Sabercats um, replica hoodie half price look at that there's some gilgroni stuff here dan for you yeah there's oh there's a gilgroni's um 20 uh trucker mesh 
snapback cap. I love like my cap. Definitely see you in a trucker in a truck hat. So, so some pretty pretty cool deals on uh, on some of these clearance items. Looks like it's mainly Houston and, and Austin right now. A couple of um, New England. Oh, it's actually a really nice uh, Atlanta hoodie. Cool. Go get it. Um, you love Atlanta. You're a big Atlanta I'm, fan. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a rattler. I'm a bit yeah. of a rattler. I Lots don't have. I'm bit. not like you. I'm not like you know. But I I like teams. I like the way Atlanta plays. That's yeah. how I do. not not based on you know. I can't even remember why you're a Gilgroniac. This is this is being told to death because they were the worst team in the league. I got on them when they were zero and sixteen. They didn't win a game that whole year, and I'm like, let's stick with them because everyone was death riding them. And I said, well, I'm going to support the the worst team in the league. Now they're second in the league, folks. So hey, general managers, <laughs> head coaches, call me. I'm the I'm the the horseshoe. I'm the rainbow. I'll get your team. I'll turn you around. Just You're definitely something. You're I definitely something. something. I mean, something. I mean, you know, you, you, the benefit that you have is by being like the num- the first <clears throat> Gilgroniac. You get stuff. When I like, I'm like, I kind of, I like, I like the way Atlanta play defense. Nothing. Nothing. So, you know, Nothing. you just have to jump on the bandwagon if you want the stash. Yeah. Get on the bandwagon, folks. Get on the... Uh... MLR bandwagon. Just pick, pick one, jump on it. All right, let's jump into the games. Speaking of jumping. Can I just say how disappointed I was that like four games weren't, that like there weren't four games decided on the last play of the game. I mean, come on, MLR. I mean, like there, there were some game, there were some games that in the last 10 minutes you knew what the outcome was. That's really no, disappointing. We don't want a week off the high drama, the tension, and we yeah. give it to us every week. Come on. All right, let's start things off. And this one, uh, I think caught everyone by surprise looking at the tips leading into this one. Nola goes to San Diego, gets absolutely spanked, 43-17. Uh, Joe Peterson, he is back, and San Diego looked significantly better when uh, Joe Peterson is wearing that 10 jersey, Pete. I, I think that's right. I mean, I think that he he makes them better. He's been something that, that, they're, um, that they're missing. And, and this is like one of these times, you know, we say, hey, don't look at possession and territory. Well, you can look at possession and territory when one team is dominant. And Nola had 61% of the possession and 57% of the territory, and they got blown out, which mm. is crazy, right? And so how does that happen? It happens because Nola, I think, like three times turned the ball over near that San Diego's line and San Diego took all three opportunities and scored tries. Like San Diego were ruthless. Yeah. Like when they had an opportunity, they scored and Nola just can't, they can't get over that last five meters. They, they were coughing the ball up. They, they had some, you know, real problems. I think their back row lost some balance. I think there was a bit of a rotation going there. And I think, I think that, that hurt them, but it was, yeah, it, this was a game that like, Nola basically played a lot better than San Diego and San Diego blew them out. I mean, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. It's a tipster's nightmare. That one. Hey, have you got the stats in front of you now? I do. Tell me, tell me the turnovers count. I'm working on a new theory here. Eight. So Nola has 18 turnovers and San Diego had 10 conceded. Okay. Okay. That's, it's working so far. One from one for me. I know there is a game where it doesn't work out for me, but there's a reason for that. But anyway, let's move on. And it's actually this game. Toronto, 19 over Houston down there at Aviva Stadium. Toronto win this game. 
but I think they had more turnovers. They conceded more turnovers than Houston. Well, I think they had but right. the territory in possession now is flip-flop in no uh, in Toronto's favor. So 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 what you need to do, Dan, is it, and, and I can run this for you. We can talk about it next week. You want to do turnovers per carry or turnovers per ruck or turnovers per tackle. If you yeah. just do to- so if you look at this and you say, well, hold on. Um, you know, so so you know, Toronto had 12 turnovers. And Houston only had 11, but Toronto had more possessions. So they have more opportunities to have turnovers. Yeah. So it might be turnovers per possession that might be the indicator that you're looking for. Turnovers divided by possession times bandwagon. There you go. That's the formula, folks. Take that, scary Larry. <laughs> Computer. All right. What do you think of this one? This, uh, this was a strong wind in this one. And, and Toronto, I thought, didn't use the wind to their advantage in the first half. And I'm like, you know, they can get run down here. But they didn't. It was a real tough, gritty win. And I know Houston defended really well, considering they yeah, had that I mean, I mean, possession Houston, territory. I like, yeah, I mean, I mean, well, I mean, you say that uh, Toronto didn't use the wind, but I think there was like 20 minutes where they had the ball. Like I like in the first half, I'm not sure how often Houston got out of their half, right? I think what they scored yeah. three points half time or something. Um, True, but they defended really, really well. Like so, both teams actually defended really well. Both teams had 89% tackle rate. That's really good. Houston had a, a little bit of an uptick uptick on penalties, but where they really struggled was in the line out and the scrum, and that's actually where. Toronto had the advantage and were able to pull this off. I don't think Toronto feel like they were playing their best. I think Houston's becoming one of these teams that plays well enough to make it close, but can't get over the line, right? Like they're, they're, you know, they've improved, like they won the first game, they got blown out a couple of games and now they're competitive, but it doesn't look like they have the firepower to really get over the line. They tried a a different lineup, right? So they had Sam Windsor at fullback um joe thomas at 12 like they're trying to i think they're trying to find something that goes the other thing and we'll talk about this a little bit later i think they moved um uh magno from um eight to seven and then they had boyson that came in at eight but then you've really got two number eights and i think Mm -hmm. that they i think they lost a little bit in that back row balance but you can see houston trying to you can see you know, um, Healy trying to have a look and be like, let's get it. There's a combination here that can unlock the potential of this team and can help us win. Yeah, he's got the old stethoscope up there, clicking away, trying to figure out what the combination is. They're going to figure it out. I think Houston is uh, due for a little purple patch here. They're getting some troops back from injury, but they've yep. been pretty decimated with injuries and it's kind of gone under the radar because they haven't been winning games. So, all right, this next one, New York going to Austin and tried to uh, implement the same game plan they did against LA and get out New York by Austin, uh, in Austin. Did everyone figure that one out? 9-16, to 16, low scoring game. The game plan that they implemented against LA didn't work as well as it did against Austin, the number one defense in the league. Yeah, I mean, this was, I think, um, an interesting game. I'm actually just trying to find the stats. Austin are becoming very, very, very difficult to um, uh, play against. They have, mm-hmm. you know, a strong set piece. They've got a very, very good defense. They let, they make the op- opposition look bad. And New York actually just doesn't have the firepower, right? They just don't score the tries that they need to, to be able to, um, 
to be able to, 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 you know, to win, to get enough points. Like, you know, Austin were over the game line almost like they made the game line about 80% of the time. That's turnovers. crazy. The, the people just want to hear what the turnovers were. We're just going to pick on turnovers are 10 and 10. Ooh, and that's, that's where the scoreline was. I think losing oh, hold on, hold on, no, 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 this is learning. The turnovers are 10 and 10. What are you going to ask me? What, who had uh, greater possession? Yeah. So the Gilgronis had significantly more possession, like 40% more possession. So they had less turnovers per possession than New York, and they won. And New York losing Dan Holland said at halftime was a bit of a, oh. a blow to them as well. Yeah. I think, I think uh, it's, you know, it's, it's the New York defended really, really well. Like both of these teams are just gritty teams that grind it out. Right. And yeah. so it wasn't necessarily a, a, a great game, but I think that the, uh, um, you know, the, the, the set piece was good. It's interesting. I feel like the, uh, um, you know, the Gilgronis, they, had to, they, they completed 30% of their scrums, but they won 100% of their scrums. There's something going on there, right? Yeah, there, was really, there was a real battle in the front row going on there. But, you know, both of these, like, and I, I picked Austin in this game because I just didn't think New York could um, back bounce up. back from the high. I think that's hard, um, especially with the travel. And I think that, that could be some of it. I agree. I think uh, man of the match was Noxie, just keeping that energy going for 80 minutes in the stands. Well done, Noxie. Uh, by the time this comes out he'll have his second game in, in like four days because it goes saturday right. wednesday right. so loving loving your work noxie hope you're a big fan and big fan of what you're doing down there and just hope i can look as good as you i wonder how old noxie is actually what do you reckon oh he's he's, he's definitely younger than me he's had a rough life if he is <laughs> he's enjoyed himself all right moving on new england they go down to ATL. Then Pete's favorite team, Pete's Rattlesnakes. I'm going to just start it now. The Professor's Rattlers. What a win. 33-18. Uh, this, this was a tight game for quite a long It was a, a tight game until two yellow cards at the end, right? Yep. There were two yellow yep. cards at the end, and Atlanta would be able to put it off. And, and I, I, I said this last week, Dan, when I talked to coaches around the league, they talk about how New England's like one of the best teams. Interesting game. Wasn't like a great offensive game, like, slow ball but you know let's go down to the atlanta defense right so the opposition got over the game you know game line 45 percent, right which isn't bad but 17 dominant tackles like that's crazy that's crazy like they are just you know contesting five breakdown steals the the uh Free Jacks had six breakdown steals, so there was a real scrap. I think what was really interesting about this game is that um, pretty much uh, Atlanta kicked um, from inside their 22. They, they are play, they're beginning to play territory, and they're beginning to trust in that defense, and you can yeah. see them. And I think that with um, uh, Kalsa, did I get that right? Yeah, Kalsa. Yeah, yeah Kalsa. I'm playing 10. Right. He's like, like there was, there was a lot of little kicks, little attacking kicks. I think that like Poby had one, Kelsa had one. They both ended, ended up with tries. Like that. I think that they, you're going to see them kick a lot more. You're going to see them rely on their defense a lot more. And, you know, New England, you know, they're, they're in this game. They just, um, you know, they struggled a little bit to get outside of their, outside of their 22. That's a problem. And, um, you know, they, you know, the discipline just, just got them. Right. I mean, they 
they really struggled um, and they really struggled in the scrum. Like this is one of these ones where you're like, you know, I, I, I you know, there were zero Atlanta scrum penalties and six for New England. And if Ooh. New England had equality in the scrum, you would probably be like they would win this game. But they didn't. 50% of their um, turnovers, turnovers. Okay, let's go for the... So New England had 15 turnovers and Atlanta had 11 and New England had more possessions. So New England had more turnovers. All right, I'm liking this. I might have to start... I, I shouldn't have said that nasty stuff about Larry because I may actually need to borrow his computer to put this algorithm into it. All right, let's move on. Uh, Seattle, DC. This will be an interesting one to get those stats on because I did this game on Sunday. I felt like Seattle was probably the better side until Matt Turner got hurt and then they kind of just lost their way. Yeah, I mean, I think that they had to rejig too much, right? They had to move like it, like it's not like they had another 15. They, they, could they didn't in. have a back three on the bench, no, like a true yeah. back three, and it hurt, right? And so now, yeah, you're moving things around. And I, I agree with you. And I, I think the you know, Seattle had, I mean, I think there was a um, you know, they had like they can look back at maybe half a dozen opportunities they had to score that they didn't, they didn't take, yeah, right? And that's kind of like where it gives they, you know, they their attack looked better, um, you know. Uh, Alatimu, that's a pretty good mid- mid-season pickup. Great pickup, yeah. I'm impressed with him. He ki- he kicks very well too, like strategically. Picks, but like had a couple of breaks. Yeah, um, you know they did some cool stuff where they put Joyce at first receiver and had Alatimu come around the back. So I thought um, that was good. I think like Old Gloria are, are a, and we've said this before. They're an opportunistic team. Right, they're a team that, like, when you give them the opportunities, they take them. So they don't need as, as much possession. But you know, the whole of their backline played any minutes. Yeah, there's actually a good point in the game where Callum Gibbons goes to the referee. You need to, you know, JP Doyle, obviously world class, right? Like yeah. one of the the best refs globally. Uh, you know, so and it was a treat just to listen to his communication with the players and how that was done. But Callum Gibbons makes a good point. He goes, "We're a team that thrives off quick ball." They know that we thrive off quick ball, so they're slowing us down. Can you clean up, you know, the ruck for us? They're pulling down, they're dragging. And JP Dill's like, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll take a close look at that. And then it opened up a little bit there for a 10, 15-minute period for DC. But Interesting, yeah. They're just, just oh, I just well, don't so know what it is with DC. 41% quick ball for, um, for DC, so not great. 57 for Seattle. And on yeah. the turnovers, Dan, oh, 16 ooh. turnovers. For Seattle and nine for Old Glory. Bing, bing, bing for the power theory. Bam, it's working. The problem is it's a it's a post theory. I can't pick games based on the turnovers that happen in the game. I would have to then go forward in time. And then I know the result anyway. So why do I look at turnovers? But <laughs> I'm just trying to like Yeah, no, I mean I think this is good because you can look like like we're we're now and, and maybe this is this will... should be better for a coach to be like if, if we limit turnovers we're a better chance of winning the game. Well, no, but I also think we can look because we're now at a point where turnovers, we have enough games, right? We're like nine or 10 games. And we have enough games where we can start looking and saying, if there's a big enough turnover differential per possession, right? You you might be able to start looking at that and, and having it be predictive. Like Larry, because like he's smarter than I, he would go back and he would run the regression 
and say, how has turnovers, turnovers progression, turnovers per possession done since 2018? Yeah. And he would, he would be able to tell you how predictive it is, right? Yeah. Although I don't know that we have the stats going all the way all the way back there. But, you know, we're at 10 games. And, and if you might, you know, if you see that, that some team, like for every 100 possessions, right, or, or probably every 100 carries, I like turnovers yeah. per carry, right? So for yeah. every 100 carries, they, one team turns it over 15 times and the other team turns it over seven times. That's probably statistically enough right now to say, well, one of these teams is going to be good. But I think I think there is a little bit that, you know, I mean, it's like every stat, no stat. You're not going to look and say this stat tells you who's going to win. But you say this stat gives me an idea that I put into my thought process. Right. And so, you know, an example is a team that turns over the ball a lot against L.A. is probably going to concede a lot of points. But a team yeah, that's going yeah. to turn over the ball a lot against the Gilgronies, like their cousins, maybe not. Yeah, well, let's talk about those uh, Giltinis, huh? This is going to be the professor's breakdown. Uh, the big one in SoFi, right behind me here. It was beautiful, but what do you want to break down on this one? 38-27, LA win this one. I actually walk away impressed the way LA bounced back from New York, which is always interesting to see, but I actually walk away pretty impressed with Utah as well. I, I think... Sticking- I think- Sticking with, I think Utah have a more positives to take out of this than LA did. I, I think that's right. I mean, I think Utah um, had opportunities. So they they came back, right, in the last 20 minutes and they made it closer. And we've seen that with LA. They kind of took their foot off the gas. But I actually think in the first half, Utah had some real opportunities to score where they just didn't execute in their set piece or in their starter moves, which yep. I think must be really frustrating for Sean Pittman, he's like, you know, I think there was a line out right before half time, like where they hadn't, and I was like, you know, if they score this, they, 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 and they just, you know, I think that they missed the line out. So I think for, for Utah, and I think this is like, I, I feel like this is a bit true for the Guiltinis in general. Like the Guiltinis came out of the, you know, they had a month in Hawaii and they came out probably closer to their like peak than everyone yep. else. And I think Utah's still growing, but, the thing that is really interesting for me is we talk about the Giltinis and their point scoring, Dan, but the Giltinis, they're the best defense in the league, right? They have the best, they have the highest tackle percentage. They had 89%. They had 144 tackles. They had less than 50. They always have less than 50% possession. They always make more tackles than the opposition and their tackle rate is, is phenomenal, right? It really is. And, and you look and you say, you know, who, is the leading ball carrier for Utah? So, who do you think the leading ball carrier for Utah is, Dan? Mike Taylor. Mike Taylor, right? So yeah. let's go down and let's have have a quick look at um, how well this really, really dynamic back three had, right? Like, like this is a really like the you know we've said best back three maybe in you know in the league, right? So they've got Mikey Teo, fourteen carries. Carries zero line breaks. Josh Whip- Whippy, five carries, zero line breaks. Um, Mika Cruze, uh, four carries, zero line breaks. James um, Fafale, uh, seven carries, zero line breaks. Like, like there's not a single line break in the back line that, um, you know, that, that Utah made. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely phenomenal. And, and even like Mikey Teo had four tackle breaks. Right. So he broke tackles four times. 
but he had 14, like this is Mikey Taylor. These guys are just a phenomenal defense. And I don't think people talk about it enough. Yeah, it's easy to get caught up in the attack though, isn't it? Because they do that so well. And it looks great. Their set piece looks great. They scored another one. Uh, they went wide. Ryan James kicks through. You know, Harrison Goddard scores that try. It just, you love to watch it. And you get caught up watching that attacking rugby. So what were the turnovers? Well, okay, there's, there's more to come. Yeah, you, um, the turnovers, oh, it's probably pretty close, but I think LA might have more turnovers. But this goes a little bit where LA will have more turnovers because of the way they play, right? And so and so they, they, they do offload a lot. They do move the ball a lot. So they have 12 turnovers. Yeah, I think that, you know, with 95 carries and um, Utah have 115 carries and seven turnovers, I'm pretty certain that on a percentage time um, – the Giltinis still win. But I, I want to talk about how Utah, like, put pressure on them, right? Utah really did a good job. So, first of all, Utah prevented them from getting over the game line. They slowed them down a bit, right? right? But, you know, they take every opportunity. So, they slowed them down. They got over the game line and were able to get into – I mean, I think Utah's first try was just, like, you know, phase after phase and moving it back and forth. I mean, it's like, it was really good, but that's what you have to do against a really, really good defense. And then there were a couple of interesting things that I, I still feel like um, LA's set piece isn't that strong, right? They had to reset their scrums a lot, although they won them all, right? Or, or 180%, but they had to reset um, a lot of them. And their line out. Now, this is what was really interesting. So you have to dive really deep in the stats to see this. So um, that the Giltinis, their line out, Dan, we know, is their number one source of scoring. Like they score 50% 50 of their tries from their line out. And their dominant line out is the five-man line out. Mm -hmm. And they really struggled in the five-man line out. Utah had obviously done some good scouting. They won four and they lost four. So the Utah were able to stay in the game by really dis disrupting the, the set piece that, um, that the Giltinis had. And, I, you know, and then holding on to the ball, right, making sure because they had less turnovers, right? Basically, like, it's, it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of the classic thing. They can't score if we have the ball. So we need to get the ball. Like, we need to have less penalties. I think if Utah had, you know, penalty count was 12-12. 11 so if you tied a, had a four or five penalty count advantage that could have been a big difference for them but it's sort of like contest their ball so we can win it in the line out right which is what they did and then when we have the ball don't turn it over very much right and hold on to it and then they can't score with it and so i think i think utah was was you know it's weird utah was closer than this score looked um with like 20 minutes to go <laughs> Yeah, it might seem like a blowout, and so the final score is probably fair, but I don't think it's fair for Utah to be like, "Oh well, you know, um, LA took their foot off the gas," which I think they did. I think Utah just didn't take the opportunities that they had in that first sixty minutes. So I agree. If this is a matchup, Dan. If this is the matchup in the semifinals, this will be a good one. I, I would, you know, the the test here will be when LA travel to Utah. Like, what do Utah learn from this loss? And how do they then correct that the next time they play? Yeah, exactly. I think they no, walk no, away no. with a lot of confidence. And like, yep. you know, there was this Teflon, you know, coding to LA. Um, Houston kind of dinged it. And then New York broke it. Right. Now, they're still an amazing team. And they're still going to beat 99, you know, teams 
out of 100. But right. now there's that one. And I think Utah will be confident enough that that game at Zions Bank will be a real great game. And then agree the semifinal. If that is our semifinal, we're going to be fortunate because I think those two teams will probably match up the best. And, and, and you know, I talked about the penalty count. I, I don't think Utah will come out of this happy with how the scrum was refereed. I think Utah felt like they had the dominant scrum, but there were a couple of times, like, you know, in the first half, all there were three scrum penalties. They were all against Utah, mm-hmm. but it felt like, and it looked like Utah, Utah were dominating. So that like that difference, those three penalties, right. Which gives you territory and possession and another platform. I think it's yeah. good. And I think that like Paul Mullen, I think this may have been his first start this year for Utah. I think they put him out there and they were like, we need you to dominate the scrum. And I think he probably did, but they didn't get, they, they may feel like they, they were left a little short by the referee. Yeah, I've got to give Derek Summers a wrap here. He overturns uh, John Ryberg's try. I, Big screen. I, 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 um, you, listen, I, I get that he, you know he's not supposed to, but the old saying is it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And I think his explanation. You saw uh, Dave Dennis came up and goes, "What's the deal?" And he goes, "Like, look, look at the size of these screens. Everyone can see it." He goes, "Utah are blowing up." It's not like even remotely close. So he drops the no, ball. No, I mean I think that's right. I, I mean I think the I, I think it was the right call. I you know what what the referees would say is they said it was the right call but the wrong process. Yeah, right. That's what that's what they would say, and and probably and there've been some very famous situations. I mean, wasn't there like a World Cup quarterfinal with Scotland where? like the call was made and Scotland, Australia, Scotland, Australia, like, like there've been some very famous situations where referees haven't done it. But I think, I think this was the, the, the right thing. I like, like you said, I think it was the right call. And I think if I'm a referee, I want to make the call right. Even if the process is wrong. And, um, you know, I feel like, and, and I, you know, that's not the first time we've seen John Ryberg drop the ball over a try line. Right. I mean, he's done that before. So we want like, like for Glendale. So we want to make sure like that's someone that needs to get that ball security. It looks like he just doesn't, he didn't want to dive on the turf. That's kind of what it looked like. I'm okay with that. I'm with him on that one, but (laughs) uh, good, good job, Derek. Big fan of the show. I miss hanging out in the airport lounges, buddy. You're a good man. All right. Let's, uh, let's jump into our player of the week. Now it came from that game, the professor's breakdown there. It was the back rower. Angus Cottrell, and I got a chance to sit down with him earlier today. All right, joining us now is MLR Player of the Week for Round 9, LA Guiltini's back rower, Angus Cottrell. And uh, Big Gussie, thanks for joining the show, brother. How are you holding up out in LA? Thanks thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, pulled up right after the game on the weekend and um, had a quick turnaround, had a recovery down the beach yesterday. So it's what LA provides. So really enjoying our time um, in LA and over in the US, especially. Yeah. And you, you may have flown under the radar a little bit when you look at yourself next to the Adam Ashley Coopers, the Matt Gittos of the world, but second man of the match performance for you for LA first player of the week. You, you've certainly earned your way into the, the limelight there in LA amongst some probably bigger names. Um, how have you kind of come into the setup there in LA? Like, how did it come about getting over there? And then kind of what were the goals for you? What did Darren Coleman kind of look for you and from you for this season? Yeah, thanks. Um, don't mind flying under the radar. I quite enjoy that. Um, 
and definitely enjoying my time in the Giltini's jersey. I think um, leaving the Melbourne Rebels in Australia, just wanting to try um, an opportunity overseas and LA popped up as sort of a, a landmark that I could potentially go to and jumped right on it. Um, such a great city to live in and pretty cool place to be heading. So, um, yeah, it was very excited to come here and the team worked pretty hard in the preseason um, to build. We didn't want to come here and make another number. We really wanted to come here and play a good style of rugby and um, impress the fans. And I think we, we're doing that. Um, we're only halfway or just under halfway of the season, so plenty of more time to go. But um, DC just sort of has always told me to to play my natural game um, and fit into the team where I see. And I hope I'm doing that. And yeah, no, it's just, it's been an incredible journey thus far, but plenty more work to do. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the, the Angus Cottrell story leading up to this. Now, born and raised in Brisbane, uh, played a lot of super rugby, uh, Melbourne Rebels more recently, but also at the Western Force. Talk a little bit once you, you finish high school, Brisbane Boys College, kind of what the journey is there for you and how you got yourself into super rugby. Yeah, so I finished school at Brisbane Boys College in 2007. Um, sort of flew under the radar there, wasn't playing that much representative rugby uh, and then went into the club system down at West Bulldogs in Tawong, just down the road. I uh, played three or four years uh, primary grade there and eventually got my opportunity with the Western Force. Um, I went went for a trial with them to Samoa uh, in 2011 for a World Cup warm-up game against Samoa um, and got the opportunity uh, for a rookie contract uh, for 2012. So started there, um, ended up being in Perth for about six years until unfortunate circumstances, they got cut out of the competition and then um, our coach moved from the Western Force, the Melbourne Rebels, um, and I, I went along with him um, with a few others and spent three years at the Melbourne Rebels, um, so about nine years in Australia. I had the goal of playing for the Wallabies and got close a couple of times but didn't eventuate, um, so then it was probably my time was up and an opportunity overseas like to, to come to LA um, was on the cards, so grabbed it with both hands. All right, let, let's talk a little bit about the game on the weekend. Uh, a lot was made of the stadium, and rightfully so. It's over $5 billion, which is kind of crazy when you think about $5 billion to build that. How was it uh, the week leading up to it? it was, uh, it's, it's a huge centerpiece in LA. So obviously, you've seen the stadium since you've been there. Did you kind of have a good idea in the upcoming weeks that this was a possibility? Like, when did you find out you'd be playing there, and how yeah. was that experience? Yeah, it sort of popped out of nowhere. We, um, Got a rumor of it probably 10 days before the game that there was potential that we're going to be playing at SoFi. And then it got confirmed probably a couple of days later. So the boys are pretty excited. We're, we're fortunate enough to play at the Coliseum uh, in LA, which is an amazing, amazing ground. Um, but to have the opportunity to play at SoFi, um, yeah, it was once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, yeah, and the boys are very fortunate to be able to do that. And I think what helped was when we, we actually had a visit on the Thursday before the game, just a, a bit of a promo thing, so the boys were able to get the wow factor out of the way. We had the captain's run on the Friday um, where we got through what we needed to do. So by, by the time we got to the game on Saturday, we'd sort of um, got over the, the fact that the stadium was as big as it is and as special it was and we could just focus on the game on Saturday. So I think it was a very good um, you know, lead into Saturday's game. 
Now you talk about the wow factor. I had I had the exact same experience. I went into the Cowboys Stadium, and uh, it was the same thing. I'm just you, you can't help but the old tourist neck, right? You stare straight up, and you're like looking at the screens and how big it is. You've you've played, you know, close. To, I think do you get a hundred or over, close to a hundred games of Super Rugby? So you've obviously played at a lot of stadiums. How was the like the show the showmanship? You know, the the totality of the package in the stadium. Is it comparable to anywhere else you've played? Yeah, I was saying on the weekend, it's probably number one. Like I've played some pretty good stadiums in South Africa. You get um, some unbelievable stadiums that go um, vertical. Um, and then there's, you know, the Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane is pretty special as well. Um, but SoFi Stadium definitely takes the cake as number one. It just the, the size and, um, you know, how big and how many people you could get in there, especially, and the, the TV above the ground, it's probably... Nothing that ever any other rugby stadium has in the world. So, yeah, it was pretty hard not to be looking up and checking the TV during the game. All, all, the, all the pomp and circumstance aside, you had a game to play. Coming off your first loss, how was the week at practice? How was DC and the coaching staff, Steve Hoyles? How, how was it inside the player group coming off that loss in New York? And what was the focus going into Utah? Yeah, it was tough. Like, we never expected to go to New York and... Um, come away with a lot and um, it was a tough pill to swallow but I think in hindsight it's probably a good thing that we were pretty smooth sailing there for the first six games um, and you know if we take the foot off the pedal teams are able to are gonna well, catch us so we hit the drawing board on Monday we had some pretty pretty honest reviews um, not at all what we needed to do to um, fix our performance from that previous week and leading into Utah. And we saw Utah as a massive game. They were sitting second in the conference, so we had to win that one. Um, and then always considering that we've got Austin on, on the Wednesday as well, which is another conference game, and they're doing quite well. So I think they might be sitting second above Utah. So this is another big game for us on Wednesday. Yeah, bat- battle of the, the Gills, right? The, the Gil Bronies and the Giltinis now. Uh relationship with any of the guys in Austin you know the coaching staff obviously Gerardo Sammy Harris there um any of the players any yeah, I, don't, names? I, don't know the, I don't know the coaches um too well I know of them but there's a couple of players that Hugh Roach their hooker um I played with at Melbourne and Will Maggie was over at the force for a little yep two yeah. months in so I know him so yeah a couple of the players you got a message for Hugh I'll just look right down the camera and give him a message what you're going to do to him no, I'll leave, that. I'll leave that to Wednesday. I'm sure there'll be well, plenty, plenty of terrible chat on Wednesday. Well, it, it's a quick turnaround. So how, how does the week look now? Obviously, straight into recovery mode, you said yesterday. How do you implement the systems for Austin quickly and, and tell us just what you're expecting? Austin, pretty, I think they're the number one defensive team in the league. You guys, number one attack. So it sets up an interesting battle. Yeah, no, it will be a very good battle on Wednesday, I think. You know, we're straight into it on Sunday morning. So the boys got up early, um, got recovery out of the way. And I think we're pretty fortunate we didn't come out of uh, Utah with too many injuries. So the team's looking good. And, you know, probably a few sore bodies still today, but we got out on the field and um, went through what we wanted to do for Wednesday. Um, And, yeah, Austin are doing very well, very good defensively. And as a forward pack, we see their set pieces very strong as well. So we're going to be up for a challenge there. All right, let's talk a little bit on the lighter side now. You said you, your wife's come over with you from Australia. What's, what's been the highlight? What's been uh, the most interesting thing 
enjoyable thing and the scariest thing you've done since you've been in LA? Um, yeah, I was going to say interesting. Well, interesting slash scary. Um, we're obviously you know, loving living overseas. It's, it was on the on the bucket list the whole time. We wanted to, before we probably settled down in Brisbane, is live somewhere pretty cool. And LA is definitely that. Um, so we've parked ourselves up in Venice Beach. So right in the heart of it, right in the heart of LA. So plenty of plenty of things to do around here. Um, most interesting, scary. We woke up a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday morning. Um, I think we're driving to downtown LA to do run a few errands and walk past the car. And there was a bloke sleeping in the back of the car. We're like, oh, is that our car? Um, so I decided to pop the boot and let alone the, the boot pops. It was definitely our car. And uh-huh. we'd forgot to lock it the night before. And, you know, some, some bloke had found, found a nice little bed there for probably 10 or so hours. So gave him a little knock and just said, excuse me, mate, I think you're in our car. And he thought it was abandoned. So, um, yeah, that was a bit of an eye opener. And everyone said, we'll, we'll probably have a story in a couple of weeks. So we got one pretty quickly. So, be remembering to, to lock the car um, most nights now. Poor guy. Probably the last thing you expect some big Australian guy tapping on the window, waking him up as well in the middle of LA. Yeah, I don't, so, know, more, I don't know who's more scared. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, probably, I don't probably know. You, I think, you and the wife. Yeah, I think for now, like, you know, cross off as much as we can. Um, see, like San Diego, we haven't been down there. We're pretty keen on the beach, so get to the water and Still got to purchase a surfboard and get a few waves, um, do some mountain hikes, and then definitely in the off season we'll be probably getting a Winnebago and and cruising around America for as long as we can and checking out as much as we can, especially the deep south. Oh, dude, you're gonna, you the, it's the same as like when people go to Australia. We obviously both grew up in in Australia. The real Australia is not in Sydney. It's not in you know the cities. You have got to get out into the bush and yeah. meet the real people. Yeah. It's the same in the US. Everything in between LA and New York is just it's a different world. LA, New York, tick them off the because you got to do it because you know it's LA and New York. But yeah. everything in between, mate, you guys have a ball on that uh, that road trip. You have to get the the GoPro, film it all to be a yeah, good documentary. Well. Well. We're looking forward yeah. to it. All right, let's talk a little bit of teammates now. Who's been who's been the most impressive teammate in your eyes in terms of performance this year? Um, I've probably said this from day dot. Uh, Ryan James has impressed me um, from day one when I met him in Hawaii. Um, just his work ethic, um, his eagerness to learn, and his just defence. I think he's he's such a strong tackler. I don't know whether it's from the NFL background, but um, he's really impressed in defence and. And now he's um, proving himself an attack, as you saw from the weekend. Yeah, his kick through was, uh, you got to admit, like uh, in terms of like a rugby IQ player, is quite high because it's one of the things that most US-born players probably aren't great at is kicking out of hand. It's just not, you throw the ball here. So they, we grew up kicking in the backyard. They grew up throwing a, a football. So that was pretty impressive and a high skill, kind of high IQ at fast pace. But yeah, he, he's a chance to make the USA team now, like a yeah, big chance, yeah. which is... I definitely think so. He's um, he's going the right way about it. He's he's got a pretty strong rugby background. He's been playing since he was a young kid. So um, yeah, he's yeah his eagerness to learn and he's he's getting better every day. So yeah, I can't wait for him to put on that Eagles jersey. Hopefully one day soon in the future. Yeah, it'd be pretty close. I was going to ask you if if there's a hundred meter race between all the Giltinis, who's your top three? RJ would have to be up there too. Yeah, RJ would be up there. Um, probably DTH. He's 
Yeah, he's old age is probably getting there. He can move us pretty quick. Um, I was surprised that when I found out how old he was. Um, God, he looks he good. I'm sure, I'm sure he gets that a lot, though. Yeah, well, the hair's make, not making him look that old at the moment. Um, who else would there be? We'll go Watson as well. Watson. Oh, Flicky, Fl- 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 yeah. yeah. Good little player. I'm excited to see him get a little bit more time. Probably, you know, as the season grinds on, he'll get a bit yeah, more I think time. He will. Yeah, he'll he'll definitely pop up in the later part of the season. I think he's a very talented kid. So, looking forward to seeing him out there. All right, you've mentioned obviously the New York, LA, San Diego thing. Uh, what what's a game that you've circled on your schedule remaining that you're excited to go and play? Um, probably this one. Um, we went to Austin for the trial, but it was just a trial game, um, preseason match, and we're staying out of town. So I've heard a lot of good things about Austin, and um, not too sure where we're staying on on Tuesday night. But um, keen to check out a bit more of the city, and I guess they're our brothers. So to play against our brothers in in a um, actual season game is going to be good. Technically, they're the older brother, but are they the little brother? I don't know how that works. We'll see. We'll see. I won't put a label on it just yet. <laughs> Wait until Wednesday. Well, I'm excited to watch that one and obviously uh, excited to watch you through the rest of the year, mate. You've been unbelievable through the opening you know, nine weeks of MLR and so has LA. You and your teammates have been great. Uh, looking forward to the next LA game and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now, Pete... Within the first, let's say, the first three years of Major League Rugby, if a guy had played 100 games in Super Rugby got announced as a signing, he'd probably be the biggest signing for that team. But, you know, <laughs> Angus has just kind of flown under the radar. And as you heard, he's, he's pretty happy to assume that role, but he is an absolute bulldog. I think between him and Billy Meeks, I mean, Angus is the heart of that forward. But you've got Dave Dennis, Adam Ash, you know, you've got some big names in there, right? Um, you know, the, the, the Smith boys both played Super Rugby as well up front. There's some, there's some decent names in there, but he's just – he puts his head where I don't even like watching people put their heads. So he's been incredible and I, a, a very deserved uh, player of the week for him as well. I think he's really played a lot of minutes for LA and he's really been one of their best players week in, week out. Yeah, and I think that there's um... – you know, and we'll talk a little bit about this um, when we get to the tactics session, because I think there's, um, I think uh, um, Angus plays a very specific role in um, the attack of um, LA and plays it very, very well. But he just looks like, he's, he's one of those guys that when I watch, I'm like, I'm so glad I just turned 50 and I will never step on the field with that guy. Because like, like, I just don't want to have to tackle He's a big, mean, mean dude. Nah, he's a good dude. All right, let's 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 go into the professor's tactics now. Let's uh, open up the doors, put on your lab coats, uh, get the goggles on. Uh, don't touch any of the naked flames. Don't. It's acid to water like you order, not the other way around. Remember that, kids. Let's go. Back row balance is what we're talking about. Break it down. Yeah, and so... And, and so I want to talk about back row balance and we can talk about um, Angus Cottrell because Angus Cot- um, uh, Cottrell is, is, a, is the primary ball runner of the LA Guiltinis in the back row. And if you look at systems, right, you, you, you'll see that um, like players end up in, in certain spots. And in fact, 
you know, we'll, we'll do a call out to um, our, our friend of the show, Squidge Rugby, who, d- who did a, a really interesting um, video on YouTube about the recent Lions selection. He talked about how the number eights were being selected for the Lions and that maybe they're, they're not the best players, but they're the best edge forward. So that's the forward that plays right on the edge. And so when you think about back rows, you don't think about who are the best players. You think about who can, you know, who plays what position within our attacking structure and our defensive structure and how do they balance each other out? And so in LA, Cottrell is always balanced by, like, he's the big ball runner by a really big defender, right? And so um, yeah. Poitivan's been the player that's been playing seven mostly, but um, Harry McNulty had an amazing defensive game. Um, he, he did. Had, you, know, did. Made, you know, had 24 yeah. tackles, missed none. Missed right? none. Um, great, great knock. And his first game yeah. back too. Unbelievable. Right, and... And, and, you know, um, but, but you don't see him on as much on the attacking stats, right? This is someone that, that does some of the um, hard work, right? So uh, number two in um, ruck arrivals and number two in opposition ruck arrivals, right? So, so, so you get that balance between the six, which is often the big ball runner, and the seven, who's often the player that hits hits the rock. Now, in some defensive systems, you'll actually see the six also step up and play. So, so what, what's interesting about LA is that um, their eight, so um, Pago Hainai, gets carried a little bit, right? Like, he isn't as involved in, in the game, um, but he doesn't have to be. And I think it's one of those things where, in the system, they score so quickly that a lot of players don't get their hands on the ball, especially a lot of the forwards, because like they score a break, and every time they score a break, they, they get a try, and yeah. right, and so and so you end up not seeing as much as you would. So so the way I think about it is, is in balances, you need a balance between ball running, right? You need a balance with defense, and you need balance at the attack and the defensive breakdown. And and so when you think about your back row, you think about your systems, you think about how how can you have that balance. This is what I was saying, Dan, about Houston, when you've got two number eights, right? So you have Magno and and Boyson both playing. They both are like number one and number two in ball carries. Yeah. Right. So maybe you don't quite have the balance. So the question should be who really has the best balance in the back row in the league? So, so Dan, what's your, what's your view? Who has the best, you know, what do you think the best back row is in the league? Healthy. Or right sure. now, healthy or I, I there's two that I really like. I will say Toronto, healthy Toronto, and I'll go healthy old glory. Those okay. are my two, yeah, yeah, no. And I think both of those are actually good, but I'm going to go with Toronto because I think with Diana Rumble and Della Vega, they actually have three players that are dominating their game, right? So, um, uh, Della Vega tends to play a little bit wider. Right, Rumble, he's a little bit of a wider player. Um, Deanna does the hard hard work in the middle, and Rumble is the fetcher. He's the person that's really good at the breakdown. So if you look at their stats, right, ball carriers, Deanna 20, mainly because that's what comes off the base for them a lot, right? So they do a lot of stuff off the base, but Lucas Rumble has 13, and Thomas Delavega has 12. So your top three ball carriers are all in your back row. That's... Yeah kind of cool right so then let's talk about um tackles right so this is where you start seeing some difference so rumble number one ta- you know rumble and diana you know number one with 11 tackles um 
you know, and then Andrew Quatrain at hooker, which isn't unusual because the hooker ends up being a fourth bat row, right? Uh, but, you know, you so, so you start saying, okay, you know, um, where's De La Vega there? But then, you you know, you say, well, De La Vega's out, you know, he, he tends to play a little bit, a little bit wider, but De La Vega's also really good at the opposition ruck, right? So maybe he's not in there in the opposition ruck, um, sorry, in, in the opposition tackle, but he's very good at the ruck. And of course, Lucas Rumble's very good at the defensive ruck as well. So you see Thomas, you know, Thomas De La Vega having eight opposition ruck injuries and um, Lucas Rumble having 12, right? So these guys are doing the hard work, but Deanna's not there, yeah. right? So he's not listed there, right? So you're talking about this idea of balance, but Deanna is there. He's number three for own ruck arrivals. And so what you want is you, is, is, is you want to see these players be able to balance each other out with how they play around defense, around like the tackle contest and around attack. And I think, you know, um, uh, I think Toronto have that right now about as well as anyone. Well, I hate doing this, but I'm actually going to help support your argument that Toronto has the best back row. Because if you look at a full body of work, not just one game, go for the whole year. Number one, successful tackles in the whole league. Who is it? I know who is it. Thomas De La Vega, 129. Guess who number two is? Lucas Rumble. Lucas Rumble, 117. Guess where Diana is at 14, He's in the top 85. 10. He's in the top 14, so top 15. Now you flip over to carries, and this is where I forgive Diana for being 14. And that's no shame. 133 carries, number one yep. in the league. Yep. Guess who number two is? De La Vega. No, Sam Wuching with 93, 40 less carries. Now they've got a game in hand, but no one's carrying 40 times in one game. Right. You jump down now to Lucas Rumble at 87 in sixth place and Thomas De La Vega at 84 in eighth place. Yeah. That's incredible. So right. both back rows, all three, sorry, are not only in the top 15 for tackles, but also carries as well. So usually, like you said, you'll see like a sharing of the load. If someone's more dynamic ball in hand, they're probably not going to be up as high as the tackle count, but they're all kind of helping each other, but still carrying an enormous load throughout these games. That's really impressive stuff, Pete, for that Toronto team. I, I think it is, but it's also a bit of a concern, right? We can like wear and tear. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, because one of the, one of the challenges you have, you know, so there's a, there's some differentials there, right? Like, like players have different roles, but when your bat row is carrying such a large amount of your contact. Yeah. Right. That's a that's a concern. Like I would like to see a hooker. I'd like I'd like to see a twelve. I'd like to see someone else. You know, Sarge is up there as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think ben, I think that's, ben, Ben's yeah. not too far off on that carry. Let me just quickly pull it back up again. Uh, Gaston Mirez at seventy three at thirteen. Right. Manuel Montero. So, I mean, carries it's all Toronto. They must just control possession so well, which is kind of surprising that they're not dominating more in the scoreboard. Dosage is at twenty four was 62 and i think i don't think i missed any but well, I think, so there you've got your back three getting involved and then right. massage as well for those crash lines that he does so well so that's uh it's a busy old team but they no, haven't no. had a break yet they have not had a break and they have no. this weekend off so we'll, we'll obviously yep. get into the games coming up this weekend but uh, i'm pretty sure de la vega rumble and diana uh, will <laughs> take a, a well-deserved rest i'd probably give them a couple yeah. of days off training and be like just Go do go fishing. Well, do I mean, I mean, that I mean so contact. That's actually one of the things that, like, with the, if I'm if I'm um, Chris Silverthorne, I'm like, you guys just don't do any contact during the week. You do enough on the weekends, like you yeah. don't need to do any contact. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll just pull you out of the, any any of the contact stuff. You just come come step in the team stuff. Other than that, be on the bike, get loose. Like yeah. that's, that's how little, you manage it when guys are, are carrying that amount of load during the week. Yeah, little tackle technique stuff just to keep sharp, and that's it. Yeah, I agree with you. No heavy hitting. All right, uh, I love that. I love the prof- I love getting in the lab with you, mate. It's great stuff. All right, let's look at where to watch when this podcast drops. This game will be over. But it's LA Austin FS2, so we won't worry about that one. We still have to put our tip in, so this will be like a retrospective kind of. Yeah, we might have to record two. Can we can we just mouth it and then have record, Aaron, like, record two in. and then Aaron can chop it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All righty. All right. Saturday, eight PM, Utah at NOLA KSL uh, app in Utah. Cox Sports down there in NOLA and the Rugby Network everywhere else. Uh, also on Saturday is DC at Houston on NBC Southwest. No. What's the SW stand for, I wonder? That's the... Uh... Sports Washington. Oh, there he is. I'm, I'm like, SW, SW. Uh, Super, no, Sports Washington. There you go. That is going to be in the DC area. And then AT&T Sports in Houston, Rugby Network everywhere else. Sunday, 4 p.m. Uh, kickoff moved back a couple of hours here on this game. It's New England at New York on CBS Sports. That's our game of the week. And uh, let's hope that one lives up to the uh, Boston-New York sports rivalry that already exists. Yep. And then the late one on Sunday is Atlanta at Seattle. So 8 p.m. Eastern. I'm surprised Seattle didn't do that 8 p.m. local kickoff time as a payback. For, oh, that, that's right. They played Toronto at 7 in the morning their time, but make them play like 2 in the morning over in uh, West Coast time. So... That one's on route up there in Seattle and the Rugby Network everywhere else. Power matchup of the week. Pete, who do you like in this one? I'm interested. This is sort of like an interesting power matchup because it's not really a matchup. But I'm interested to see the Atlanta defense against this new seawall, which I actually think is pretty good. Like um, Alan Clark's been up there for a few weeks, right? Their defense is significantly improved. They're launching much more. Right. They think they did um, a good job with DC. Like they slowed down the ball. They, they prevented them from getting over the game line. I'm, I'm interested to see how the seawall, which was like the original strong p- pressure defense, goes up with like the young kid on the block, the Atlanta's strong pressure defense. Yeah. Hearing good things from uh, up in Seattle about Alan Clark. Everyone's yeah. been really happy with the, the work he's done. There are a few of the players I spoke to. Uh, leading up to their game and then after the game said that it's been a, it's been a really welcome um, addition to the side. Mate, mine's going to be, my power matchup's going to be Utah at NOLA. And here's why. I want to see who learned the most from their loss. So NOLA gets spanked by San Diego, Utah lose to LA. Who learned the most from their loss and then who comes out of it? You know, who, who takes momentum from a loss, which sounds weird, but who can go into this game yep. and win because they both are kind of hovering around right in that top three spot on their conference. Yep. So they can't really afford a loss. Probably more so Utah because LA Austin play on Wednesday. So, you know, you, you assume the loser of that's not moving anywhere. So they're still going to stay in touch no matter what. But uh, for the East Coast and NOLA, this is a big game with a really good Utah every side. Game, but every game on the East Coast, every game on the East Coast is a big game. So, All right, so let's bring in... Uh, Let's just bring in Stats Boy and uh, get the unfortunate update from the weekend. I had a rough weekend. <laughs> there were again. So, so some interesting numbers to look at. Uh, the lowest composite quick ball rate of any game was Atlanta versus New England. And yep. 
Atlanta had the lowest uh, quick ball rate at 32%, which I think may or may not be the – it's close to the lowest one uh, this uh, from the season. Atlanta's was third at 43%. The second lowest was D.C. at 41%. Um, and then something to chew on before you guys jump into the preview uh, is the matchup tomorrow night. Uh, so Austin first ranked defense, but they have a tenth ranked attack, and the Guiltinis have the first ranked attack and the second ranked defense. Uh, so that's just some analytics to look at um, and think about. Uh, Spencer Kruger, sixteenth uh, draft pick, uh, to make his debut. Uh, made, yeah. officially credited with zero minutes, but he had a carry. And I think he had a ruck arrival. So got six meters on his carry. Good for him. Um, and he's the 24th overall uh, 2020 U.S. collegiate product to debut this season. So that's really good for... Hey, Stats uh, Boy, I got a good one for you. No pressure and then no no shame either. Anyone from the first round hasn't played yet? Uh, yes. Um, Who are we Sean Cray for? Powers at Utah. Yep, out of Iona. Out of Iona, and then he I was their second first rounder, though, because Ellingson's played. Yeah, uh, give me one second because I have it right here. Matrazo, uh, uh yeah, Michael Matarazzo for Matarazzo. Uh, for Atlanta. Um, they're both there, I know that for a fact. So, okay. um, they haven't gone anywhere. There have been two picks in the second round who are not in camps at all. Uh, that is Levi Van Lanen who was with the Dallas, Dallas Jackals, and then yeah. Danny Janoskali, who has left the Utah Warriors. We um, left. Where'd yeah. he go? Uh, he's, I, I mean, he's he's selling mortgages in Maryland. So, I mean, that's what I would do if I wasn't going to play for the Warriors. Uh, and then, but on to the, the important bit here. Uh, how did we all do in Super Brew? Uh, Dan stayed idle uh, at 5th. Uh, he did not go up, nor did he go down. I thought I went uh, down one. I was in fifth. Uh, I mean, wasn't? according to this, you didn't go anywhere. So okay, good. Good for good, you. Good. good for you. Oof, uh, it was a bad week. And uh, you know, the professor. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. Um, you you went down four places to 24th. However, I am gaining back to respectability. I went up ah. three places. And I'm yeah. in 15th. So. so I have to admit that I was a little distracted. I'm not even sure I made a pick for Sunday's game. So I was just like, no, you picked up. You picked up glory. Super like, does it. Oh, I don't have time. It was a crazy weekend. I mean, I mean, if I didn't have any form, you would believe that. But you've, like, I'm just maybe, maybe I, I am the home side. I mean, I, I will say that not in your non-super brew picks, you have climbed back to uh, respectability, as in you are 25, 25 and one. So. That's your non-super non brew picks, but the only thing that matters is super brew. So, super uh, brew, yeah. Don't give him anything else. All right, that's fine. All let's right. let's uh, let's let's pick them. Let's pick them, buddy. All right, let's. Uh, so again, this one will happen when you're hearing this, folks. It's LA at Austin. Pete, what are you thinking this one? I think it's either going to be LA or Austin. Yeah. That's right. All right. So let's I think, re I think let's like, record them both. So LA. Like, Austin. Austin. So I'm going to go with Stat Boy, right? What did he say? He said Austin has the number one um, defense, defense. The, the, the number 10th attack. 10. I mean, yep. um, that. LA has the number two defense, although I think they're the best defense 
right? I actually think, you know, the number two on scoring, but I think on tackle rate, um, and they have the number one offense. So I think if you look at that, I, but you know, I know you have to pick the, the um, Gil Gronies. I know it's in your contract, but I think it's going to be the Giltinis. I am, I am the Martini side, not the Negroni side. I've always wondered what it's like for a parent that has two kids that play the same sport for different teams when they have to watch them. Cause Adam Gilchrist is going to like, how's he going to feel about this game? You know, like, Oh, I yeah, think, I think he's going to be pulling for LA, but like, when he, like, like, like it's sort of like he has a favorite, but he, but he's happy if the other one wins. When he pulls up to the four seasons there in Beverly Hills and orders a drink, does he order a Giltini or a Gilbroni or both? Oh yeah, that, that's that's a good question. That's a good uh, question. don't go to the All four right. seasons well, I'm, in Beverly Hills. Something that you um, you'll find out on Wednesday. I've actually already made my Super Brew pick, so it goes back there. Oh, I but I'm made not my Super because I'm the team. Yeah. All right, the teams are out, baby. Get in there. Get I know, I need to, I, I Utah on the road, Please. Nola. Uh, I'll, I'll go first in this one. You just went first last time. I'm actually going to go Utah. I think Utah match up perfectly uh, against where Nola is kind of deficient. And I really think that that loss in LA, they come away with a lot more lessons from that. And I think they're going to bounce back and they've got a lot more to play for. I like. I actually really like Utah. I think Utah have turned the corner in I terms agree. of the old Utah and good test on the road. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Utah. Nola just seem a little susceptible at home too. They've lost some games down there. They haven't looked. Well, they've only at played at home, like like pretty much. No, like they, the, they played they, at Atlanta and now San Diego. They've, they've played two two, but every like they're they're about to hit six road trips in a row. Yeah. Like like, like you, you said, like you you said you're like no kind of need, need to win this game because once they start hitting the road, it's gonna it's gonna be a, a, a you know, tough slog. Yeah, but like you know, I love the way Nola plays, what they try to do, but they can't get over like like they cannot get over the line. They get all the way there, they can't get over the line. We've seen it over and over again. They have too many turnovers. Uh, I I like Utah. I think the way they play is good. I think like I think you're right. I think they match up well. I mean, I. To be fair to Nola, if they weren't playing their fifth choice fly half, they could probably get over the line more easily, right? So, but that's the reality of where they are. And so I think that I'm with you. I think it's I think it's Utah. Ooh, okay. DC at Houston. This one is an interesting game as well. I don't know that You're I believe up. in either of these teams. I don't that's think why I it's interesting. these teams are like they they both have the ability to do good things. Um, yep. they don't do them consistently. I think like I think DC, you know, Houston are getting a good crowd, like they're 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 competitive. But I think DC take their opportunities a little bit better. I think like maybe with Houston, if they get some of their guys back, they can be a little bit more explosive. But I just don't know that they're gonna score enough points. I think I think DC are gonna pull this off in a close one. Yeah. I actually on the show picked against Houston last week and got into trouble. But on Superbrew, I'd pick I actually picked them. And I lost. That happened to me too. Like so, they, they, they lured me in. Yeah, I think DC has more to play for in this game because they are in contention in the East. Where I think Houston, that ladder is uh, looking pretty long on the West for them to get back into it. They can. They're going to have to run the table. It's going to be tough, but I think DC has more to play for in this game. And I agree, Pete. I think they'll squeak it out down there. But Houston's defense has looked a lot better in the last couple of weeks. They look a lot better. I think. They'll play the role of spoiler down the stretch here. They'll, they'll beat some teams and maybe 
shatter some dreams for some teams down the stretch. And I just think they've been a little bit too injury ravaged at key positions for Tooney and um, yep. uh, Erasmus being out. It's tough. It's tough. The, the young kid playing hooker for them has done well, but yeah, it's just tough. Oh. Just gonna stay with that. New York at New England. It's the, uh, the Cold War, the rivalry game. How are you seeing this one play out? So, um, what's the news on, on Holland's head? Don't know. It looked like a shoulder. He got cracked from behind. He kind of went down yeah. and then he was grabbing the shoulder. He played on I mean, for a bit but never came back out. I, I, I go with New England. I think New England are a good side. Like we talked about good back rows. They've got the Johnsons, right? They've, they, have a, they have a good, good back row. Um, you know, I, I think the challenge for a lot of these teams is just depth. Right. So who comes after them? And, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, um, like uh, Austin playing all of their backs for all 80 minutes, like the, these teams. So so if Holland's head doesn't play, you know, that's a that's a big, big knock. I I think this is New England. Um, Stats boy want, wants us to give points. So I think it's New England. I think it's close. Things like 22, 18 to New England. All right. Give me two seconds here. I'm just pulling up. Uh... Quick thing, uh, bear with me. I know this is terrible. There it is. Tuadraki, the Fijian in New England. So I think he oh, adds yeah. a bit of... Uh, yeah, Fijian flyhop. Yeah, he adds a little bit. I don't know where they're going to play him. I don't know if they're going to play him at 10. Do you leave yeah. Harrison Boyle there? Do you move him around? No, you leave Harrison, Harrison Boyle there. Give them a yeah, little bit more explosion on the outside, but they've got some explosion on the outside. So they've got, like, you know, Dougie Fife's been pretty explosive this year, right? Dougie Fife's great. Up on top with Harrison Goddard and the try scoring. Yeah. Sir, Sir Harry Barlow, um, you know, from um, Worcestershire, Yorkshire, Derbyshire, whoever one you want, the Lord of the Manor, getting it done out there. Um, no, I think yeah. I think New England 22 18. Yeah, I'm calling this game, so I'll I'll uh plead the fifth. Won't to this one, but I'll, I'll jump on this one. Atlanta at Seattle, Atlanta on top at the east. I think they're going to stay on top at the east. Uh, long trip, know. longest road trip in MLR. Um, maybe, maybe I would say Boston, Brooklyn, San Diego, are probably longer. Oh, yeah, Boston, San Diego. Yeah, Atlanta's kind of in a little bit. You almost forget that the east coast of the US juts out east yeah, quite yeah. away. I remember when I was living in Florida and I had to travel in New York, and you're like, oh my God, why does this take so long? It's just straight up, right? But it's not. It's quite a ways east as well. So Atlanta, I think, yeah, I think Boston to I, San yeah, Diego. Yeah, I think also yeah, Boston, San Diego. I, I, think, I think the challenge here for Seattle is like no depth. So no Matt Turner. That, yeah, Matt Turner, no Matt Turner. That, then you're scrambling. You're up against an Atlanta team that I think has found their 10. Right, so Escura isn't really a ten, but played there for them, and with uh, um, you know Kulsa there, they've got some like now. Now they have depth, right? Now they actually have depth, you know, after um, after losing their starting fly half. So um, I think this is Atlanta, but like I think this will be a low, low scoring game. I think it'll be like Atlanta, like you know, twenty one Seattle, like twelve or something like that. Yeah, we'll see. I think that Matt Turner missing is a is a big deal, and yeah. he usually engineers a lot of their creativity at the back there with the counter attack and in the twenty two. So I think Atlanta will be pretty comfortable in this one. I think they'll run out, and it, which is tough. Again, I think Yamada gets into town from for Seattle, uh, the Japanese back three oh, player. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that'll be good. But that's a tough ask to fly from Japan to yeah. Seattle and then put in a performance like that. But you never know. You just never know. You can get off the plane and go. 
All right, Pete, that wraps it up, mate. Uh, another great show. Any any reviews? Are we getting any love on the old... Um, I feel like we haven't been pushing that hard enough. Yeah, we haven't been pushing that hard, but it's my birthday, Dan. And so what, what I would like to ask for all the listeners for my birthday... Yeah. Um, uh, ...is uh, that please give a review. Hey, God, that you can... Say something horrible about me. No, 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 no. For my birthday, I ask all the listeners to please give, a, please give us a five-star review on whatever format that you listen to, whether it's Spotify or, um, you know, um, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. Please leave a, a birthday review for Pete. Yeah, or and then let's, you let's, can leave it on Super Brew as well. I'll check there as well. Super oh, Brew yeah. or, or the podcast one. And last thing before we wrap it up, Pete, Best birthday present you got for your 50th uh, PG. I don't want to know what Yvonne gave you. Uh, you've got kids listening, mate. Mind out of the gutter. So I got I got um, a, a, an Apple Watch. Um, nice. And then um, I got a very, very nice fancy watch for works. So that was good. But yep. probably the most unique gift I got was a hatchet. Oh. And Who, who was- got you a hatchet? So it was a, a, a friend of mine who was, a, um, a, I think, a friend of the, or of certainly a listener and friend of the pod and uh, um, uh, Englishman who was an elite referee um, back in the um, back in back in England. And mystery? You're not gonna not gonna shout out the name? Well, I think that, like some people like to keep their privacy now. I'm just wondering if he turned up to your house and said, I forgot a present. They opened the trunk and there was a hatchet there and he goes, just give it to him. It's good enough. So they, uh, um, so, so, but what he said is that like, all right, you're living in Colorado. Um, we have like a wood burning fire, but you're yeah. going to have to go, you have to start going camping and you're going to need one of these things. And I was like, that's probably right. I mean, it's like a cool yeah. looking German made hatchet. So probably the most unusual gift I had. I think when I go camping at the Carlton Ritz in Vale, oh, they wouldn't appreciate me bringing a hatchet in. They're all starting a fire, actually. I like sitting at the one down in the lobby. It's quite... Uh... Carlton Ritz or the Ritz Carlton? No, so the Ritz Carlton's there, and I stay next door at the Carlton Ritz. Carlton it's a little, Ritz. little little, bed and breakfast place owned by a guy called Carlton Ritz. Uh, <laughs> good guy. Good guy, Ritzy. Yeah, don't worry. A little Freudian slip there. But that's good, man. I'm glad you had a good birthday, and uh, you look great. Just want to let you know that you look Thank awesome. You. All right. Like I said, just fantastic. Listeners, give him a birthday present. Go give him a review, a positive one. Tell him how good he's doing for 50. All right. For the professor, Pete Steinberger, Stats Boy, our producer, Aaron Castro. I'm Dan Power. This has been the MLR kickoff. MLR kickoff brought to you by shopmlr.com, powered by the rugby shop.